Thank you for joining us for the Local Church Podcast. At Local Church, we value each person's unique experience with faith and hope this message impacts you today. Amazing. Well, Caleb, Alex, thank you so much for your very kind introduction. I, well, happy Thanksgiving, church. Like, this is, this is amazing. Thanksgiving, I hope that you're having the best day. Whether you're in the 10 or the 3, we're just so stoked to have you. Um, shout out in the chat. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, you I mean, shout out in the chat. Um, happy Thanksgiving. I want to talk to you today from the book of 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. It's going to come up on your screen in a minute. And the title of today's message is called, Our Guide in Gratitude. Our Guide in Gratitude. And our guide is not uh, a book or a manual. It's a person. And his name is Jesus. And he lived a life of gratitude and thankfulness. And so I want to talk to you today about what that looks like. And so 1 Peter 2.21 says, To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Um, Interesting words there. That he left us an example that we should follow in his steps. That he went before us and we can still see his footprints in the sand or footsteps in the snow. We pray, God, that you would bless this time together. Bless our, our, the space. Bless your word. Teach us today, we pray. Encourage us, we ask in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. In the chat. What would Jesus do bracelets? I've got a fascination with these things. I don't currently own one, but I've always, you know, in my kind of adolescent years, always owned them. I used to, me and Natty used to own these keychains. What would Jesus do? Keychains with a little, you know, you put a lanyard or keys on the end. But instead of hanging it around your neck, we'd put it in the back pocket. Key in the pocket, what would Jesus do hanging out the side, at the back? I'm a gangster, so this is what you come to expect from me. Um, it's an ingenious Christian product. And uh, it's a symbol that um, really is kind of like universally recognized. Not, not, not as much as the cross, but recognized um, probably in there uh, with the, what do we call it? The itch, itch this, itch this, ichthus, ichthus, the fish. Okay, so you know when you see Christian, Christian cars, bumper sticker, back window, you see the little fish, ichthus. I thought that that symbol was a symbol for Jesus feeding the 5,000. I'm ignorant. I was wrong. It's not that. It's a symbol. It's the Greek word for ichthys, or the Greek word for fish is ichthys. Ichthys as an acrostic poem, as an acronym, stands for Jesus Christ, God's Son, Savior. And what you would do in the, in the, back in the days is you would like go over and you would draw half of the fish in the sand or on the dirt ground, and then the other person, under fear of death because you couldn't be a Christian at that time, because you had to bow down to another lord, and then the emperor sees it, didn't like it, and then you got killed. You got thrown to the lions. Then you would draw the other half of the fish. So it'd be like, you know, you'd walk up to someone like, and then they'd do it, you'd be like, yo, yeah, lock in, you know. Ichthys. Symbol of Christianity with the meaning, and it's kind of got some depth to it. Whereas these days, these days we're across or put a what would Jesus do bracelet on, boom, you're away laughing. You don't have to draw a fish in the sand. Um, the thing with what would Jesus do bracelets, though, is that they are... Uh, I, I think that what would Jesus do is four letters or what would Ted Lasso do is five letters. It's brilliant. But what, what might even be better is if it said, what would Jesus do if he were me? You see, to answer the question, what would Jesus do is a tough one because he's a rabbi. I'm not a rabbi. He's a Jew. I'm not a Jew. He's from the ancient Near East. I'm from the 21st century, from North America, from the South Pacific. Uh, for me to figure out what he would do sometimes might be difficult. 
But for me to translate through his life what he might do if he were me, a father of four, a lead pastor, someone who lives in the city of Ottawa, province of Ontario in the beautiful country of Canada, it makes it a little bit more palatable, a little bit more understandable for me. It's hard to know what a rabbi might do, but that phrase gives us though a clear picture that we're trying to live a life through the lens of someone who's already lived his life, that the way of Jesus is our goal and that our actions should be interpreted through the lens of his life. First Peter writes, well, Peter writes in First Peter that he left us an example that we should follow in his steps. To this you were called, he says. So what does this have to do with thanksgiving? Took me a few minutes to get there, but that's the question we're all asking. What is Levi talking about? And what does it have to do with me eating this beautiful turkey or this wonderful turducken, this great Thanksgiving supper? Let me tell you what. This might be a weak punchline, but you know you can go ahead and judge my punchlines all you like. It doesn't bother me. But Jesus was thankful. Jesus lived a very clear and specific thankful life. He gave thanks on numerous specific occasions and lived a life that whilst was simple, was a life that was filled with gratitude. To be thankful was something that Jesus did consistently and constantly and something that we should imbibe in our very lives as we follow the way of Christ. This should come as no surprise to us, but it is lost on us on a regular basis that Jesus was a thankful person. You see, we think we're alone. We think that we're in that human condition in our life, that we don't have a God that can empathize, but Jesus has gone before us he is the way. He leads the way. He's shown us the way. And with thankfulness, it is no different. Jesus walked in our shoes. In fact, I think you can probably still buy a pair of his Roman sandals off eBay. He's experienced the pain of disappointment, the elation of success, the burden of responsibility, the joy of life. He's experienced the hope of dreams. He's not absent or distant. He's walked in our shoes. He's a God that is full of empathy. You see, the perspective of the New Testament reader at that time, some decades after the death of Christ, was one as a Greco-Roman perspective where as these early New Testament readers would, would read the Bible through this lens, that the Greeks considered that empathy from the gods towards humans was not possible. That it's not something that was just not uncommon, but it was not possible even in the slightest. An infinitesimal piece of empathy from the gods towards mankind was not something you would ever see. That the experience of being a god was so different from the experience of being a human that empathy was not possible. That was hard, too hard to understand one another and there was no possibility of the coming together of the two. Aristotle criticized Plato's suggestion that humans should look at the ideal good or look at God by declaring that the gods could not be an example for the human conduct or the human condition for the simple reason that the gods were gods and humans were humans and their existence was so far removed from one another. Empathy suggests not just listening to another story, but participating in that story, walking in their shoes, so to speak, that the listener not, not just hear the belief, uh, the, and believe the facts of the story of the storyteller, but actually feel at some level that experience. To have empathy with another is to participate in that person's experience for it to be shared. The New Testament regards God as entirely capable of such understanding. This is lost on us. Let me say that again. The New Testament regards God 
is entirely capable of such an understanding. That the New Testament claims that God entered the human experience. The Gospel of Matthew presents the birth of Jesus as the heralding of God's presence among mankind. This man, Jesus, is one who empathizes with the human experience because he is, well, a human. But he's also the presence of God at the same time on the earth. Jesus, in effect, is God empathizing with us by becoming one of us. Jesus has a unique role as our great high priest. For he is a person who both sympathizes with our weaknesses, for he's experienced them, and yet has not sinned, and is therefore like no other, and is in fact God. Hebrews, the Bible says in Hebrews 4, 14 and 15, says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we have not a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet he is without sin. In sending Jesus, God turns out to be empathetic towards our condition far beyond anything we could ever hope or imagine. God empathizes with the human experience, not just by knowing about it, but by entering into it. And so Jesus has walked in our shoes. And when he was walking in our shoes, Jesus, note this today, was thankful. That he was someone who was specifically and clearly thankful. And today I want to highlight three occasions and talk about those occasions when Jesus was thankful that we could embody those here on Thanksgiving Sunday. The first time he was thankful that I can read in the book of Matthew chapter 14 and verse 19 was in regards to food. That's right. You heard it here first. Local church. Levi Mary Church preaching, talking about food. Mm-mm-mm. Ministry of the table coming in. That he was thankful for food. In other words, Jesus was thankful for basic provisions. Matthew 14, 19 says this. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. Note this, he says, the Bible says that he took the loaves and fish and he gave thanks. Someone uh, mentioned that an interesting point. He didn't ask for God to bless the food because there was an understanding that God had already blessed the food. It was food. It was clearly blessed. Good things come from God. The rain that poured and the sun that rose for the wheat and the making of that bread and the flour that was created and the water and the yeast and the fact that we're looking at fish and God provided that. Of course, he's blessed it. So Jesus simply gave thanks. He gave thanks for food. Jesus lived a simple life. He didn't own a home. He wasn't married. He was single. He had no kids. He walked. He prayed. He taught. He gathered people. He was a rabbi. He was, in my opinion, the personification of simplicity, the personification of minimalism. He was part of a family. He had a hometown. As far as we can tell, he worked. John 2 would suggest that he attended public celebrations, the wedding at Cana. We know that he enjoyed food with strangers and food with friends. Jesus went about his life and had relationships with people. He attended bonfires at the beach. He sailed. He walked. He was a team builder, public speaker, a poetic communicator, a simple life but he was a very profound individual. He's recognized as one of the greatest teachers of all time, yet you'll never find a book that he wrote. On the other hand, he lived radically. He ruffled feathers. He changed perspectives. 
He, he lived his life in a way that made a genuine difference. Uh, his life was not glamorous in any way. I don't know if that sounds familiar, but when I think about the change that Jesus brought, I'm overwhelmed that I might be in a position to do the same. But when I think about the non-glamorous lifestyle that he lived, I think, man, that sounds just like me. Isn't that the carpenter? Isn't that Joseph's son, they said? A humble job, a noble occupation. He seems to know an awful lot about gardening and fishing, probably because he did a lot of both of those things. He lived his life, as far as we can tell, he loved his life. He loved his mom. He loved his family. Be encouraged today that you don't need to lead a complicated life for it to be powerful. That living for Christ doesn't need to be glamorous. That you can live a normal life and change the course of human history. You can live simple and minimal and have an impact in the world that would go on for generations. And you can live a normal life and be thankful for normal things because for some, they don't get to experience those normal things that you and I do every day. And so Jesus, our guide in gratitude, was thankful for food. We see several times in the Bible that he gave God thanks specifically for the basic provision of food. We see that here in the feeding of the 5,000, again in the feeding of the 4,000. We see that at the Last Supper, we'll come to that, where he gave thanks for food. In an agrarian society, there's so much that was outside of our control. As a farmer, the seasons, the sun, the rain, the behavior of the animals. So there was a more common understanding that all these things that I have clearly come from a higher being, a creator God, a benevolent in our faith, creative father, the God, the one true God. But these days, we're much more reliant on transport, Wi-Fi, you know, making sure we've got, you know, instant things that we take for granted like power or technology. In our jobs, we forget that these gifts, these everyday good gifts still come from a giver and that giver is our God. Every day I wake up and I make the kids, I do two things for the kids in the morning. I prepare their clothes for the day and I make their lunch. I prepare their clothes and I make their lunch. What they'll wear and what they'll eat. Those for me are basic provisions, but I take a lot of effort when I think about the kids in that regard, because when I was growing up, I didn't always have access to great clothes. And when I was growing up, I didn't always have access to great lunch. I give my kids four pieces of fruit every day, two rice crackers, a juice box, a jam sandwich, and usually something else, some goldfish or, or something like that. And when I make the lunch for the kids, I'm reminded, I'm reminiscent of the fact that there were times that my mom's single mom got us through school, got me through university, that my single mom didn't always have the means and the resources to provide for me what I now provide for my kids. And therefore, I am thankful. Let's be Christians that don't go through an experience of lack, learn from it, and then are therefore thankful. Let's be people that work the other way, that we're thankful on all occasions, regardless of experience or lack that we face, and our lesson is learned up front and not at the tail end. Let's be people that are thankful and embrace it every single day. Jesus speaks to this on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 25 through 34. I'll paraphrase it, but he's up on the mountain speaking to hundreds, if not thousands of people. And he says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. That's a message for someone today. Don't worry about what you will eat or drink or your body or what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet, your heavenly Father feeds them. And now you're not much more valuable than them. In other words, he's saying, God clearly loves birds, flowers of the field, and they're, they're, they're more splendid than Solomon. They never go without. How much more does he love you?
let's be thankful for God's provision in our lives. The basic provision, shelter, warmth, clothing, and in this case, food. The other night we had Rudy and Tanisha over for dinner. Great young couple in our church. And we were like, you know, Tanisha's like elbow Rudy. She's like, come on, you say grace for us. And so he started saying grace. And like, you know, there's like the, there's the simple grace, like thanks for this food. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. And I'm prone, I'm prone to that. Then there's the Talladega Nights. Ricky Bobby Grace. Dear little baby Jesus with a little tuxedo t-shirt. Little eight, eight pounds, six ounce baby Jesus. Little baby Jesus with them golden fleece diapers on. Oh God, I pray, little baby Jesus, you bless this food. Mm-hmm. Thank you for this bountiful collection of KFC, uh, you know, Pizza Hut. Then he goes on to say, um, he says, um, and I'm bound by contract. Thank you, Lord, and every grace for Mountain Dew. And we thank you, Lord, for the $21 million I won in the last calendar year with NASCAR. Woohoo! Thank you for my son, Walker, Texas Ranger. You know, uh, uh, like basically, you know, the whole prayer. Or oh, there's that kind of prayer, which is just like <laughs> random, so random. Or there's Rudy's prayer. He grabs our hands and he says, thank you, Lord, for this food. Thank you for this time. Thank you for fellowship, relationship. Thank you for new friends. Thank you for our church. He prays for a couple of minutes and I'm like, I'm being ministered to during this prayer. As he simply gives God thanks for a basic provision of food. And let's be like Rudy, man. Let's be like Jesus. Let's be thankful. Let's stop and pray and let it sink deep into our souls. This Thanksgiving weekend, no doubt, and I hope you're eating a lot of food. But just be encouraged. Get every good thing in your life and something so basic as food. Be thankful for it. And when we do, be like Jesus. Be specific. Look to the Lord. The psalmist wrote, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He is our guide in gratitude. Food. Number two, if you're taking notes, Jesus gives thanks for prayer. Specifically here, he's just thankful that his prayers are heard. You know, the Bible says that God hears all of your prayers, that he's bottled up all of your tears, that when you're at home late at night, filled with anxiety, life is struggling, it's difficult, and you pray God hears you. Don't assume that an answered prayer is, is, is only, uh, how do I phrase this? Don't assume that when your prayers are answered, that's the only time God heard you because he was, he's capable and able of answering all of your prayers. But he might not want to. It might be better for you that he doesn't. We prayed for a savior 2,000 years ago. We prayed for an emperor and a king. God sent us a baby. Sometimes the answer of God's prayer for what we pray, the answer to those prayers is not the way that we would have it look. God's in control. He hears you even if you feel like he's not answering you. Jesus says in John 11, so they took away the stone, speaking of the stone in front of Lazarus' tomb. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I thank you that you've heard me. And then he says this, I knew that you always hear me. That, that the relationship that he has with the Father is one that says, God, I know you hear me. You always hear me. You're always listening. So I'm praying. I know you're right there. Let's not be caught in a trap of um, just looking for answered prayers. But pray a prayer and be thankful that he hears it. Uh, I've met some cool people in my life. Lauren Hill, one of the coolest people I've ever met. Um, I remember one time I met Tyson Chandler. Uh, one time we needed money for the church early on in the days when we were like doing a big like fundraising drive. I sent a letter to County Reeves. I didn't, haven't got a response yet. That was three years ago. Still waiting for a letter back with a check. But how good is that? County Reeves, man. Like John Wick gave to our church, like, you know, in, in the future. Wouldn't that be amazing? But in the celebrity culture that we live in, we're enamored with famous people. That people are above us, beyond us, um, so far away, too big for us. 
in the time of the writing of the Bible, it wasn't dissimilar with the gods, with what people viewed as deities. And people were fascinated, but they were a long way off and they couldn't reach them. But God, as I mentioned, changed that. When Jesus came, the one true God put on flesh and blood and entered into the neighborhood. But that, that, they, they weren't interested, these concepts of God that people had. It was a futile approach that they wouldn't hear the prayers of the people. And this is where Jesus came to solve so much of the confusion. He came as Emmanuel, as God among us. He came to love his people and empathize with our condition. And so today we look at a, a psalm like Psalm 1835 that says, You stoop down to make me great. That Jesus came down, Emmanuel, God with us. God with us. What if God were one of us? Is, this, is that Janice Joplin? Alanis Morissette? Someone's going to put it in the chat right now, but it's Isaac Hunter. Always likes to prove me wrong, you know. Let's start having a therapy session here in public. Therapy sessions are great, just probably not, you know, in the middle of the sermon. But what if God was one of us? Well, he was. He did come. God made himself a home amongst us. He put on flesh and blood, as Eugene Peterson says, and, and, and walked in and, and moved into the neighborhood, the neighborhood of humanity. Um, he's our guide in gratitude. He's walked the journey of our lives, gave thanks for food, gave thanks for the fact that God hears his prayer always. He left his father's throne above, the, the hymn goes, so free and infinite his grace, emptied himself of all but love and bled for Adam's helpless race. Powerful. He's our guide in gratitude. The last thing Jesus gave thanks for, specifically in the Bible, he gave thanks for forgiveness. Picture this. Okay, Matthew 20, 26, verse 26. It's the last supper. Got all the disciples there. You know, you got like that famous, um, you know, um, da Vinci painting of, you know, John on the breast leaning in, all these people there chilling. You know, I can't imagine that's how Jesus would have a supper, like set up for a painting. Like, hey guys, you know, he's going to be right there, you know, in the thick of it. Probably better to get a bird's eye view of that because they would have been around a table chilling, just enjoying life. And he says this, he says, while they were eating, Jesus took the bread and when he'd given thanks, distributed the bread. Then he took the cup, when he'd given thanks, he gave it and said this, this is the blood of the new covenant, of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So he's giving thanks for food. We've covered that, bread and wine, great. But he's not giving God thanks for the food. He's giving God thanks for the symbolism of what it actually means. And what it actually means is this bread and this blood, this wine represents my body and my blood, which will be poured out for the forgiveness of sins. So Jesus is thankful for the forgiveness of sins. What's important for us to know is that in order for our sins to be forgiven, he would need to die. So he's in that weird paradox of like, I'm going to die, it's going to be painful, I'm not pumped about it, take this cup from me, but thank you, Lord, for the possibility that we have to forgive humanity of its transgressions against us. That the cross and its redeeming qualities were central to his thankfulness. Hebrews 12 verse 2 says, For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. We don't know what the joy was. But we can get a picture of it here as he give thanks, gives thanks for the bread and, and for the wine and hands it out knowing that that represents his broken body. We know that he's thankful for the concept and the opportunity to save us with his blood and with his life. I, this is a God so riddled with empathy for us 
so desperately keen to help us. Like I wonder today, have you ever had something waived? Like a bill or a fine or a ticket? You know, waived like, you know, a wrongdoing, like waived. I've done that before. I've got a ticket, you know, I ran a red light or speeding ticket, and I've pushed back like, no, I wasn't. I, didn't, I wasn't going that fast. That wasn't me. You, you got the wrong guy. You got the wrong, you have got the wrong guy, you know? Um, uh, get a, a big hydro bill, gas, Enbridge gas, Roger's phone bill. It's like, that's not right. And you push back and they go, oh, Mr. Mary Church, I'm so sorry. We'll waive the bill. We'll waive the ticket because it's our wrongdoing and you are free of responsibility. That's what Jesus did with our transgressions and sin and wrongdoing against him. He paid the price. He's like, yeah, don't worry about it. Yeah, there's this great story where you got this guy, he's buying bread and milk, some coffees at the supermarket, and they're like, hey, put your receipt in the little thing and draw it out, and if you, if you draw out like the magic number, whatever, you know, you get to get your groceries for free. So he puts it in, draws it out, and he's like, they're like, hey, congratulations. His groceries cost 17 bucks. He's like, oh. You know, he's thinking, man, that's a waste. I should have got two, $300 worth of groceries. But I can see next to him, on the other side of the divider, a woman with her son has got a trolley full of groceries. And he's like, oh, honey, that's crazy. We won. And the lady at the teller, the teller's like, you know, and, and the lady's like, oh, son, amazing. And the, and the person at cash is like, yeah, ring it, ring it up, you know. And so she gets all of her groceries paid for because this man paid the price, won this lottery ticket for a free groceries and she gets to walk away, they never see each other again. We rung up a heavy receipt of sin in our lives, born into it, just human nature, man. No shade, all of us. And Jesus says, you know what? I pulled the lucky number, man. Don't worry about it, I got you. Pays the price and is thankful, not just for food and answer prayer, but thankful for the opportunity to do that. The Christian, uh, a theologian says, the Christian who walks with the Lord and keeps constant communion with Him will see many reasons for rejoicing and thanksgiving all day long. That He is our guide in gratitude, our Jesus. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I'm so glad you tuned in. That everything that we do as a church is to build to a point where people are walking, making a decision, and then being discipled in their relationship with Jesus. He loves you. He's empathetic towards your cause. God is not aloof and distant. He came close. He gave thanks for simple provisions like food. He gave thanks that our God in heaven hears our prayers. And he gave thanks for the opportunity to forgive you. In my role as a pastor of a church, um, some people come with the wrong mindset that it's like the pastor that forgives. And, you know, the man of God. And that's not how it works. I forgive you for sure, but that's really not really very impacting in your life because it doesn't really mean anything. But when God forgives, when God waves, when God says it's okay, don't worry about it, let's move on, repent, and, and let's, let's keep moving forward. That friend changes everything. And so if you're here today, I just wanna give you a chance to, to bring about that moment of repentance in your life where you might say, God, I've been going my own way, but I wanna go your way. So friend, if you're here and you're saying, that's me, I need Jesus, I'm distant from him, I don't know him then I would love to, love to, love to. Pray a simple prayer to get your life right with God. And so friend, if you're here today and you're saying, that's me, pray this prayer with me. It goes like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I come to you. I need you in my life. I ask you, forgive me 
of my sin, and I thank you that you do. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. Amen. You can click in the chat that you made a decision. People are going nuts. You're going to get prayer in the chat and a little side section there with one of our hosts reaching out. And I'm going to hand back now to Caleb and Alex. And I'm really looking forward to church next week. Mike Humphrey speaking. Game changer. Bring it. One of the great Canadians. Full stop. Ever. Next week. See you then. We are so glad you joined us for the Local Church Podcast. To get connected, please follow us on social media and check out our website for groups and other ways to get involved.